Morning, everybody, and hi to everybody online. Great to have you with us today. But let's get straight to it this morning. Open your Bibles or take out your iPhones and turn to Acts chapter 29. That's right, Acts 29. Come on, hurry up. I haven't gone all day. Okay, I'm going to put you out of your misery. It's a trick. It's like me saying, Ken, I want to invite you to dinner. You go, wow. Ken, I want to take you to the Mandarin Grill. You go, oh, double wow. Ken, on the 31st of September, you realize there's only 30 days in September. The last chapter of Acts, the book of Acts in our Bible is, of course, Acts 28. One effect of COVID, I seem to have been watching rather a lot of Netflix series. Now, the one thing I couldn't help noticing is with movies and TV series, they always seem to have a sequel. Take General Hospital. In June, the ABC soap reached a milestone that few other programs have seen. It broadcast its 15,000th episode. Now, how does that happen? I tell you how. The producers, they leave the story in the air. They create suspense. I mean, you watch a film for two hours and then there is no apparent ending. Why? Because it leads to a sequel. We are talking today about the unfinished story. And may I remind you how we began the unfinished story series in March from Acts chapter 1. And yes, there is an Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, now stop there. Luke wrote his gospel, again, addressed to this guy, Theophilus. It was his friend, and it means lover of God. So he said, in my former book, my gospel, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. What a great start. But have you wondered how it ends? I mean, endings matter. Whether it's a football game, whether it's a novel, whether it's a movie, have you ever wondered how the book of Acts ends and why it ends as it does? Well, Let's investigate, shall we? Now, the book has been following the Apostle Paul's life through all sorts of dangers and challenges. He ends up in Rome under house arrest. He preaches in Rome and has some success, although not all the Jews were convinced. And then we read this, Acts 28, verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. 
and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. <laughs> so, what happened next? I mean, was, was, was Paul released? Was he brought to trial before the emperor? Was he convicted and martyred? We are not told. I thought, what a strange way to end. Why on earth does Luke end this way? Perhaps, perhaps he finished writing Acts while Paul was still in prison. That would be about 62 AD and that this was as far as the story had got. Ah, but this is very unlikely, since Luke almost certainly wrote it after 70 because he used Mark's gospel as a source, and Mark was written about 70. So Luke, probably writing in AD 80s, intended to end it here. Why? Well, what is the book of Acts all about? Is it about the life of Paul? No. What is it about? And most scholars agree that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the theme. It's a methodical statement. It's a critical verse. The words of the risen Jesus. And he said this but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts is not a general history of the early church. It is not everything that Luke knows about the history of the early Christianity. It is too limited for that. There's too much that he's left out. Rather, I believe that the book of Acts is the development, the working out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So it's about the Holy Spirit coming upon them. The book of Acts is sometimes called the book of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We have Pentecost. Then Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, addressing the Sanhedrin in Acts 4. Then the Spirit falling on the new believers in Samaria. The Spirit forbidding Paul to go to certain places and then guiding him to others. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 59 times in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is about being witnesses. Witnesses to Jesus. He said, didn't he? You will be my witnesses. I mean, think of Stephen, think of Paul, Peter, Philip. We examine them all. 
But witnessing is a rather foreboding word, isn't it? I have to say it's somewhat of a dirty word in some church circles. Everyone says, oh, my faith, it's personal. But in Acts, it's simply telling a story. The story of Jesus. The story of how Jesus changed someone's life. The story of how Jesus changed the whole community. And it is about being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Luke tells this story. Jerusalem first. Then they go to Samaria. And then the gospel expands. Does it reach the ends of the earth? <laughs> Actually, where are the ends of the earth anyway? <laughs> Rome? Heck no. From a Greco-Roman perspective, Rome was the center of the earth. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, or Luke chapter 2, sorry, our Christmas narrative, we read of a decree going out from the Emperor Augustus in Rome to the whole inhabited world. Rome was the center. But for, for either Greeks or, or, or Jews or Romans, the world extends far beyond Rome. To the rest of Europe, to Spain, and onwards to America, Africa, Asia, Hong Kong. The ends of the earth is the ends of the earth. So why does Acts end in Rome? Endings matter. Why end in Rome? I tell you why. The story is not complete. The story is not complete. Acts 1.8 is not fulfilled with Paul's arrival in Rome. Witnesses to be to the ends of the earth. That is a target beyond Rome which is not reached in Acts. But the crucial point is that the ending of Acts is a non-ending. It is not an ending at all. Why not? Because Luke intended a volume three. He intended an Acts 29. Not one that he would write but one that the Holy Spirit would write in the life of the church. Like a movie, where the movie writer ends with a sequel in mind, like the Lord of the Rings or the Pirates of the Caribbean. But in this case, Luke is not gonna write volume three. Rather, the Holy Spirit will with future Christians as actors. That's us. We 
are part of the cast of Acts. But as a sort of prelude to volume three and Acts 29, I wanna look at how Luke ends volume two in Acts chapter 27 and 28. And to do that, I want to tell you a story. It's the story of a journey and a very eventful journey. A trip across the Mediterranean Sea that certainly was not a pleasure cruise. To help us navigate, I put a map on the screen. And we're gonna start with our first scene, which is starting out by sailing to Rome. As we open the story in Acts 27, we are at Caesarea and we are confronted with the statement when it was decided that we would sail for Italy. That suggests that Paul did not travel alone to Rome, but that Luke and perhaps other disciples accompanied Paul on his journey. We certainly know of uh, at least one more disciple that, that travelled with Paul. His name was Aristarchus because he was mentioned by Paul in Colossians as a fellow prisoner. From the record, it seems that the Roman governor, uh, Festus, placed Paul and the Roman escorts on what we would call a freighter ship that would make many steps on the way to Italy dropping off and picking off points. I suppose an old-fashioned deliveroo, probably. Whilst unloading cargo at Sidon, Paul was allowed to go and see his friends in that city. Now, the story continues as Luke recounts for us the difficulty of their travel. It was the time of year that the winds had shifted and made sailing a long and dangerous task. Verse nine indicates that they were traveling at a dangerous time. Things were about to get worse. Now some background here in ancient times. Sailing the seas after September the 15th was not advisable. I guess a little bit like our mid-autumn festival here in Hong Kong, right? Cloudy weather would sit in and it would make the navigation difficult since sailors were able to navigate their position using the position of the stars. In fact, from November the 11th to March the 10th, all seafaring ships stayed in port. Now, based on this information, Paul addresses the crew, stating it seems clear that the voyage is headed for disaster. However, it seems that the captain believed ah, he could get them to Italy without harm. Therefore, the centurion listened to the advice of the captain rather than the words of Paul. We read this, since they should not stay at Fair Havens, they set sail for Phoenix on Crete to winter there. And in verse 13, we're told a favorable wind helped them on their way towards Phoenix. However, 
The weather quickly changed as a violent northeast wind rushed in upon them. In fact, commentators agree that this storm is a typhoon, which we in Hong Kong know very well. We had a T8 last week. And Luke literally writes that the ship was unable to face the eye of the wind. The ship became unmanageable. And they had to ride it out as the wind took the bloat wherever it pleased it. As the wind drove the ship out to sea, they were able to get some shelter, providing the crew enough time to bring the lifeboat onto the ship. Next, the crew tied ropes to the ship to keep it from breaking apart in the violent storm. The crew then lets down the anchor to keep the ship from drifting too far out to sea. The storm is so bad that the crew must jettison any extra cargo from the ship. In fact, things were so bad that the crew must throw overboard the ship's gear, which would have included the main mask and its rigging. By verse 20, we see that Hope becomes lost upon the crew. They do not believe they are going to make it through the storm. And Paul writes in verse 20, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. It was in the midst of this despair that uh, Paul reminds the crew <laughs> they should have listened to his words. I, I told you so, right? However, Paul is able to offer encouragement because we read in verse 23, the previous night an angel of God told Paul he would stand trial before Caesar in Rome and all the people on the ship would not lose their lives. But they are not immediately to get to the destination. They will run aground on some island. Now, fearing they would run aground on some rocky place. Some of the sailors tried to escape the, the, the ship by getting on the lifeboat. But Paul warns the centurion that unless these men stay on the ship, he would not have his life spared. The centurion wisely listens to Paul this time and cuts the rope, holding the lifeboat to prevent anyone from escaping. At this time, we learn from the book of Acts, there are 276 people on this ship. Knowing that the shipwreck is imminent, the crew throws grain overboard to lighten the ship, which leads us to scene two, which is the shipwreck. Not knowing where they are, the crew sees a bay with a beach and attempts to run the boat ashore. Running into a reef, the ship becomes jammed and the waves begin to break up the stern. The soldiers plan to kill all the prisoners so that no one would escape. However, the centurion wants to save Paul and he keeps the soldiers from carrying out their plan. Those who could swim were ordered to swim to shore while the rest would float on planks and debris on the shipwreck to shore. 
once ashore, the crew find out they're on the island of Malta. We've got there, Malta. I've been there a couple of times. It's very nice. We read, the local people show kindness to the shipwreck crew. They provide them with fire and hospitality. But, and it's a big but, while Paul was gathering wood, a viper, one of the world's deadliest snakes, came out and fastened itself onto his hand. Gulp. The immediate reaction of the local people was that Paul was a murderer and justice was coming to him. However, Paul shook off the viper. He shook it off into the fire and suffered no harm. The locals were waiting. They expected Paul have his hand swelled up or to be killed by the snake bite, obviously showing that the viper was poisonous. Seeing that nothing happened to Paul, the local people changed their minds and they believed he was a god. It's funny, isn't it? People are fickle. While on the island, the father of one of the leading men, Publius, suffered from fever and dysentery. After Paul prayed and laid hands upon him, the man was healed. And we read that many other on the island with illnesses came to Paul and were healed. Leads us on to our third scene, on to Rome. After waiting out the winter months, they set sail in another Alexandrian ship which had wintered there. Finally, after much turmoil, you'll see from the map, Paul reaches Rome. Once in Rome, Paul was permitted to stay by himself with the Roman soldier who guarded him. After three days, Paul summoned the Jewish leaders and gives an explanation as to why he has come to Rome and why he's in chains. This gave an opportunity for Paul to preach all day long concerning the kingdom of God and persuade them concerning Jesus. We read in verse 24 that some were persuaded, but others did not believe. And so Paul concluded his teaching to those who were leaving, saying they were fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah said they were being unwilling to see and hear about the great work that God had done through Christ. Therefore, Paul would go and preach his message to the Gentiles. Let me remind you this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and welcomed all who'd come to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, all with a boldness and without hindrance. What an amazing story. I mean, it beats Johnny Depp and the pirates, doesn't it? But what are the applications? What does it mean for us? I'd like to highlight three things. 
Number one, trusting God in all circumstances. One of the first lessons we clearly see in this story is the disciples' ability to trust God at all times. Paul went from the Jews plotting his death in Jerusalem to the foolishness of the captain in the bad weather. And all Paul had to hold on to was God's promise that he would testify about the Lord in Rome. But even those words would have been difficult to believe when you're on a ship in the middle of a typhoon. In Acts 27, 20, we see the hopelessness of the situation. He said this, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. The hopes that they would get out of that mess were lost. They believed, didn't they? going to die. The storm was unexpected. The storm was unmanageable. The storm was unrelenting. A passing thought. Isn't life like that sometimes? We often face many storms in life. But even though we face many storms, we can still have a spirit of thanksgiving in our hearts in the midst of a storm. Paul stands up and declares that there will be no loss of life. Why? Because God says so. We see the confidence of Paul that God was going to bring him through. We cannot overemphasize the confidence that we must develop in our faith in God that no matter how difficult things get, God will remain with us. We cannot forget and we must always believe that there is nothing that we are experiencing that is not common to others as well. What an amazing service we had with Branches of Hope last week. We saw, didn't we, only last week from those in our road community, in our stop community. We have a great many people at this very church who have shown great strength. I'll be honest with you. Their levels of faith make mine look weak sometimes. If God will not allow us to go through more than we can handle, then church, we have some very strong Christians in our midst. If we're not that strong yet, we can become that strong in our faith. We can take strength from the faith of those who are here. We are an encouragement to each other as we go through our difficulties. We feel the pain together, but we share in the strength of each other's faith. So that's the first application. The second application is this. Preaching in all circumstances. I, I, I love this guy, Paul. He never, makes, never wastes an opportunity. 
How about Paul preaching in every circumstance he found himself in? What an amazing man. It didn't matter what was going on in his life. His first thoughts would be evangelistic. Just days after arriving in Rome, Paul calls for the Jewish leaders to begin to teach to them. When Paul was on a house arrest, he preached not only to the people who came to see him, but even to the Roman guards to whom he was chained. That's a captive audience, isn't it? Every soldier that was chained to him would hear about the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus Christ. Finally, Paul had run through every guard so that he could say that his imprisonment had actually furthered the gospel. And the gospel had been spread throughout the whole imperial guard. What about us? We are called to preach the gospel in all circumstances. We must persist in proclaiming the gospel message. Can you imagine teaching Caesar's household? Can you imagine preaching to the imperial guard of Rome? Unfortunately, our motto has been this. Preach the gospel under no circumstances. We come up with excuses, don't we? Not to speak about the Word of God in nearly every instant arises. We, we assume that person doesn't want to hear. We think it's not a good time. Is it ever a good time? Or are we just soothing our consciences because we know we need to be workers in God's kingdom? My friends, preach and teach in all circumstances. Let nothing hinder us from the work of the Lord. Our last application is this, encouraging others in all circumstances. As I look at these chapters we just read, what an encourager Paul had become. When we look at the book of Acts, we say Barnabas. Oh yeah, Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. But Paul did a great work in encouraging the saints and the unbelievers. It is from this house arrest that we believe Paul wrote many letters, including Colossians, Philippians, and Ephesians. I'm going to make a suggestion to you. I'm going to suggest you take some time this week and that you read Colossians, Philippians, and, and, and Ephesians. And you remember as you read them, you read them in the light that these were Paul's words that Paul wrote while he was under house arrest. Do tough times stop us from being encouragers of others that we ought to be? Paul would acknowledge his condition, but turn his attention to the needs of others, encouraging them to be strong in the Lord and never turn away from the truth. We too can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In all circumstances, let us always trust God, preach God, and encourage others in the faith. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. My dear friends,
although the book has finished, ah, our sermon series has finished as well. The story has not. Luke finishes with a subliminal message to be continued. The open ending ending tells us that. We, as the readers, are to finish the story. We continue the writing. It is to include the readers, you, in the continuing work of spreading the word. It challenges us to press on with the unfinished task. But what are the contents of Acts 29? What is the script for volume three? The clue is found again in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's no full stop by there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in Hong Kong, Kowloon, New Territories, China, and the ends of the earth. Here, I'm writing a new version for you. The power of the Spirit at work in the church and the world and being witnesses. Let's go back to Luke. Luke wrote a two-volume work. It was Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts. The story of Jesus, Luke's gospel, was not complete. The story of Jesus called for and demanded a volume two, which Luke accordingly writes. Luke recognized that the story of Jesus was incomplete. It pointed forward and demanded the church. And just as the story of Jesus called for a volume two, so it calls for a volume three. And Acts 29, and a very, very, very long volume three, a very, very long chapter. The way that Luke ends Acts makes it very clear. Acts 29 is to be a chapter that echoes the story of Jesus. A chapter similarly empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses to Jesus to the ends of the earth. A chapter where we live out the reality that despite the worst that can happen, God's Word progresses. God's power sets people free. And God's love transforms communities. Church, the book of Acts is an unfinished book. It has never been completed. It suddenly ends. Luke does not even write finish at the end. He leaves it there. He never gets back to it because, of course, the Holy Spirit intended it to be unfinished. It is still being written. The book of Acts 
is the book of the record of the things which Jesus began both to do and teach. Is he through yet? No. He's still working, isn't he? Acts 29 is now being written. Yeah, Acts 29 is now being written. When this great book is completed and in glory, you and I get to read it, I just wonder, what will be your part in it? As the band comes back, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'd like to pray for you. Can, can everybody stand? If you're watching at home, you can stand if you like. If you're, if you're writing the MTR, it might be difficult. I don't know, but uh, I want you at home to feel part of this. And my friends, if you feel comfortable, either here or online, can you just stretch your hands out in front of you? The Holy Spirit is here today. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you. He doesn't want to fill you so you feel good about yourself or feel good about church. He wants to fill you because He has a job for you to do. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Where's your Jerusalem? It might be your family or the people you work with, people that you see daily. Where's your Judea and Samaria? Might be the lady outside the vine center who's collecting rubbish, just needs a, someone to give her an encouraging word. Where's your ends of the earth? Carla already mentioned there's lots of opportunities for our mission organizations this summer. Rather than just let that go by, could that be you who steps out from your desk and your comfort zone to fulfill the Great Commission? But I tell you something, you can't do this on your own. You need the Holy Spirit you don't need a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You know, I went to church today, and yeah, there was a lot of Holy Spirit there. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And actually to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be emptied of yourself. Many of us do. We're too full of ourselves. So just take this time as you put your hands out to empty yourself. And Father, we ask that you would come to your church. Here in this building, online, wherever people are listening. And fill us once again with your Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you desperately. Do you realize 94% of people in Hong Kong are not Christian? They need you to be filled with the Holy Spirit today 
so the 6% can reach the 94%. Do you recognize the worldview around the world is, is going decidedly non-Christian? They need Christians who will be full of the Holy Spirit, who will speak up for the gospel. You might be saying, hey, look, it's it's not me. You know, I I understand, John, how you talk to the taxi driver and and the guy on the bus, you talk to anybody, but that's just not me. Guys, it's not an option. It is you. There are people in your workplace There are people in your family. There are people in your circle that God has ordained you to speak to. It might start off by you just doing a random act of kindness for them. And being able to follow up that yes, I was able to do this because I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? Do you know, I've lived in Hong Kong 35 years and I've asked the question, can I pray for you? I don't know how many times. I cannot remember somebody in Hong Kong saying no. I actually remember three years ago, I was in Jerusalem, I asked somebody if I could pray for him, and he actually said, no, I was taken aback. It's the first time that had happened for a while. You can pray for people. You can minister to them. You can show Christ's love. We need the Holy Spirit for the people of Yunlong. It's no point us going to Yunlong with a great plan for a church plant. We need the Holy Spirit. Let's just wait on Him. Allow Him to fill you afresh. Worship in your hearts. Come, Holy Spirit.